0: Thank you so much, very good to be here. I got a chance to come to New York City and talk about adversity in basketball. It doesn't get any better than that with my friends, so thank you. I grew up in a town in Iowa, and man, I thought I had it all as a kid. I looked like this half the time, with a ball in my hand and a big smile on my face, and if there was such a thing, of the world being perfect. This is as close as it gets. And had a wonderful upbringing. My father actually was a sports writer. So if you can imagine when your dad says, do you want to go to the game? He's going to work and I'm going to the game. And I grew up in gyms and I learned what it was like to leave the gym late and be the last one out of there. Uh, He also was an outdoor editor, so we were into boat fishing all over the place also, Uh, so you can't beat that. My mom was a church secretary. So everything about growing up was, was really awesome. It really was. And at the age of five, on a warm spring afternoon, I made my first basket. Now, as a little guy, that's a monumental feat, right, to finally get it up there 10 feet in the air and have it go over that rim and go in the hoop. And I'm telling you, the shot of adrenaline I can still feel. It's it's still in there. At about age eight, I was at a high school basketball practice, and there was just something about what was going on. I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I really think on that day, I knew what I was going to do for the rest of my life. So... From college, I decided I'm going to be a teacher and a coach, and that was like my perfect world, right? And so I started that way, and I'm actually coaching the the game I love, and in the back of my mind, there was a seed planted somewhere that being a college coach would be even better because very few can do it. It's on the big stage, and I set three goals when I was 22 years old to accomplish this. I accomplished the first two to become an assistant head basketball coach at the Division I level in college basketball. I didn't quite get the number three. Uh, That was get to the final four and win a national championship. But we got close. We got close. Um, As my career ended, we were at the top of college basketball. I think we were ranked number two. We were pursuing a national championship. I got to coach 12 guys that played in the NBA. One of them, just the other night, led the Golden State Warriors to another world championship, Steve Kerr, who was on our team in Arizona. I got a chance to coach Steve Kerr. So here's a guy that made his first shot at five, and and the basketball world in his life was doing good. Couldn't ask for more. Every day was the greatest day. And I want to show you, what that looks like. It looks just like that ball. It looks just like that ball. It's how beautiful that thing spins. I don't even have to look at it. I know where it's going to be. The problem is that the spinning ball hit the floor and shattered. Because on a November late morning... In Ohio, when I'm coaching at Miami of Ohio, one day after my daughter, first daughter's fourth birthday, I see a security guard come from my right during practice, and he got closer to the floor, and I'm like, this guy needs to get off my floor, right? I mean, entitled coach that I am. And he called my name, and he said, is that you? And I said, yes. He said, you need to come with me. And I got to tell you, at that moment, as I walked off the apron of that court, I knew my life as I knew it was going to change forever. I don't know how. Got in the car, and he wouldn't answer any questions that I had, and I knew it was really not going to be good. And we went up to the hospital, and I saw my wife immediately, frantically, pleading with the doctors to do something. Her four-year-old and one-day-old daughter had passed shortly after my wife rushed her to the hospital. I said some things to her that I wasn't prepared to say in hopes that she could hear them and take them with her. I hope she did. I always thought that she did. In those moments, you're not prepared for those things because nobody gives you a manual of life to say, if your kids go before you, here's what to do. Step two, step three. And so you wing it, and you wing it with your faith, and you wing it with your family. And that's all I knew. And fortunately, I had both. But it was really, really tough. Now, what I decided to do is just to work harder, and I did. And I turned ridiculous hours into really ridiculous hours because I thought the more I was in the office, the more I was on the road out in in the country recruiting, the less I had to focus on not knowing that Meredith's face is going to be there when I come home. And so our one-year-old Claire is at home, and we make a move, and we go to Florida, and we're coaching at a different university. Three years... After we lost our Meredith, our second daughter, Claire, got sick at home. Same symptoms, same look on her face, same everything. Got her to local hospital, transferred her to Arnold Palmer Children's Hospital. She was hospitalized three times. One time on her deathbed, I was ready to say goodbye to her. and she made it, and she's she's my warrior. But, boy, you talk about walking on eggshells around the house. We make another move. Obviously, I'm moving a lot, right? You're keeping track of this, okay? College coaching and everything that goes with it. And we move back to Iowa, actually, and it's three years after... Our second daughter made it. And I was home that year. I wasn't coaching. That was in a bad place because I wasn't coaching. I didn't take it well, losing my job in Florida. But I was at home, and I was taking care of the kids on a beautiful, snowy January day in 1998. And I looked at all three of my kids in a lazy boy chair, and I looked in Natalie Jean Brown's eyes, and I knew that look. And I called one 911, got her to the hospital, and knew this a ticking time bomb because it, it goes really quick. It's a rare disease that we never learned much about. All we knew is our kids had it. Locally, they couldn't help her. They airlifted her to Iowa City, and we had to ride in a car for two hours to get there. And unfortunately, the doctors were trying everything they could by the time we got there to save her, and they were unable to do so. In a six-year period, not only you know did life change. You just have to you have to gut check yourself and say, "I still have to be a son. I still have to be a father. I still have to be a husband." But I'll be honest with you. At that point. I said, I don't want any part of any of that. I checked out. Totally checked out. I disconnected. I couldn't function. Uh, The days were really kind of a fog. My wife and I were really, I mean, we would just live separate lives in the same home. And boy, each time we had a major adversity, it just seems like we drifted further and further apart and just continued to exist which is not healthy, but it's all we knew. And so I thought, well, I don't want to face this pain every day. I'm not going to do this the right way. i got another way to do it. I'm just going to disconnect from the emotions. I'm going to disconnect from everything. I'm not going to face the music, and I'm not going to grieve, at least grieve properly. So I created a world. A private world all of my own a world of survival because that's all I wanted to do I wanted to work and I wanted to hopefully take care of the kids that we still had at home and I, and I wanted to survive because I didn't know if I could make it there was a period of time where all I wanted to do is join my kids in heaven I'm like why would I want to live here if I can live with, the, with my girls in heaven, because I, I didn't get the opportunity to go before them. Fortunately, that was a decision that I didn't make. And I decided to stick it out, as disconnected as I was. And our last move was, was to a, a great job at Iowa State University. And we had tremendous success, unparalleled success. It was just phenomenal. And I'm watching film one day, and there was a knock on my door, and these two gentlemen came in who I didn't know. And I learned that there was some activity on the Internet that I was involved in that they were here to talk to me about. See, when I disconnected, I had to find ways to function. I do, all I want to do is feel better. Let me feel better. Have you been there? And for me, it was alcohol. It was work more, like I said. It was pornography and it was music. It was all those. But they were there to talk to me about my online activities. Can you imagine a guy goes from being on ESPN? Big Monday against Kansas and beating Kansas on their home floor. And a few days, have these guys walk in and say, "Now your life's going to change. So I was given a two-year sentence in federal prison. So much for disconnected. Now, you talk about facing the music. And something happened at that time. I... I realized that it was getting to be my time. And I made that trip down there, not knowing what to expect. And it was, it was horrible. It's, it's not a great place. I don't recommend it at all uh, because food's not very good. Other than that, you know, everything's just hunky-dory. But something happened on my first day. I sat down with the director of a program. You say, program? Why were you in a program? Because one of the s- smartest men I've ever known, when, it, when they sen- sentenced me, they sentenced me to a particular facility in North Carolina. One that had a treatment program within the prison, which I didn't want any part of until I got there and I got involved. First day, the director of that program said, you got a decision to make here. You're either going to become in your time here a better criminal or you're going to become a better person. I said, I'll take the latter. He said, that's what they all say. And then did I dig in. I was so committed to changing that mindset that I had. I was so committed to getting healthy from the mind and the heart and physically getting healthy. And I wanted to adopt a style of living and become a person who could leave there and thrive when I returned home. Now, I was never going to coach another college basketball game or NBA game or high school game or any kind of game. It's not in the cards anymore. But I knew that something was missing in my life. What was missing was doing something for someone outside of me. I'd lived by that scoreboard for so long. All I cared about was my family and the one number above home being bigger than the other number. That's all I cared about. But it was different, and I knew, and I couldn't explain it. But in my time there, i all of a sudden, I, I start walking. I walk six miles a day. I walked 2,222 miles in 21 months. Read 150 books. I sent home 350 typewritten pages of stuff I had inside me that gushed out. And a lot of it became part of what was in my book, Rebound Forward. What Dr. Martinez said to me was huge. I had to change my thoughts because then I could change my habits or my actions and change my habits and change my character and change my legacy, he said. I said, legacy? Tell me more about that because I don't have one. I'm a ball coach. I was in survival mode, but it feels different now. Isn't this weird? It felt that way in a place, the most horrible place on earth. Believe me. The most negative. <sighs> you know what my job was? I, I did have the greatest job. Clean the toilets and showers. No, in prison. Yeah, I know. Okay. Okay. Okay, forget the visual, let's move on. That was my job. But I also was gifted by the federal judge to go to this facility because of this program. So half of the day, I got to work on myself. I'm like, what is happening here? So for 635 days, I got to work on myself. Do you know what that can do to a person? can change them. Why did I allow myself to do the things that I did? Because I created a world, a mind trap of I was going to do this stuff so that I could feel better. I got rid of that guy. I was living two lives. I got rid- that, that shadow follows you everywhere. And I was dragging around a dead man, I told somebody one day. And that's heavy. That's heavy stuff and you let them go, oh, it's unbelievable. What I'm here to, to, to tell you is this, that one day it hit me that why did all these things happen to you? Why did they happen the way they happened to you? Not why did my kids die? I'd been through all that questioning. I, I, I know I'll find out the answer someday. It was, what can you do with all this? I think you can do something with this. And you know what I did? I asked myself a question one day while I was taking a walk. How did I get through all that? Because people would ask me a lot. How are you still standing? I said, I just do my best, man. That's, I, I've always done my best. You know, my friends and my family and my faith. That's the only answer I got because it doesn't make sense. And they would ask me. And so finally I said, I'm going to come up with an answer. Why and how have I been able to get to this point? Because for a million reasons, I shouldn't be here today. But I am. It goes further than that. Why and how did I get through each of those situations? And I worked it out. I asked myself, what would I tell one of my players as I taught him how to do this? I'm not very good listening to myself. I can't coach myself without a who. But I can coach other people. And so I took that skill and I turned it around. And I turned it into five principles. The five R's. And I live by this because this helped me get through everything I've been through to move from that survival mode into Thrive, where I'm at right now talking to you. And the first one's reflection. I did this all the time with my players. Well, think back when you were in high school. You thought you were the biggest thing going, didn't you? Yeah. Did you work in your game like you should have? Well, no, probably, because I was this big recruit, and blah, blah, blah. We have to look back. It's great to look back. And if you do, you're going to find that you made some decisions when things were tough. It's hard to make a good decision when things are really rough. It is. It's easy to default to, I want something to make me feel better. I got to get the hell out of here. And I would talk to them about reflecting. Okay, Be mindful of what's going on here. So that's the first R. The second R is respond. And I'm big on respond versus react because in traffic, let's say, in a moment's notice in traffic, I react. I don't want to live my life in react mode. I want to live my life in respond mode. A more careful, mature step back, take some time, evaluate what's going on, and choose the right thing. And third is reinvent. There's a lot of things we have to reinvent when we decide we want to to live life differently. I had a big laundry list. Now, it wasn't just change profession. A lot of it was mindset. And what are you here for? What are we actually here for? And that's what I was figuring out when I went through the five R's. And I'd be, I had reinvented myself. And I think people have to to make that change and to get through that adversity. Redemption is fun as heck. Who doesn't like a redemption movie? Huh? Who doesn't like Andy Dufresne, right, in Shawshank? Come on. I mean, second chances are what it's all about, and there's great forgiveness in redemption too, and and for me, it was all the other people around me, plus my maker, saying, we love you, we know you, we know who you are, we forgive you. I was the only guy on earth that hadn't forgiven myself, and I'm still working on it, but redemption is awesome. That's when you know that you're on the right path and great things are happening. And reward, basically, is me being able to come here and do this. This is my reward. And there's a lot of rewards. But I will take um, people through this when I work with them, when I speak, and I'll say, "You can get through anything. And hopefully by me being able to sh- you know share some, shed some light on, on what I've been through and my story that respond, or reflection, respond, reinvent. Redemption and reward will make sense. And anybody can do that. It's really pretty easy. Too many people in our world get sucked into the residual crap that adversity brings with it. Could be one of a million things. It doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to handle it that way. You don't. What do you do when you have a chance? There's one thing to do. When when your ass gets knocked down one last time on that floor and you don't don't think you can get up, it's to rebound, which is get up and decide you're not going to quit, you're not going to stay still, you're going to rebound and you're going to move forward. And that's not a basketball title. That's a life title. Honestly, it is. I hope there's a gift there for you, for yourself, for the people that you love, and even young people. Young people haven't been through a lot yet. Can you imagine if they had a little system to work through that would help them when things were really bad? And that's why I did this. And I know it can help a lot of people, and I thank you so much for for being here and listening. Thank you.